0: Hi, I'm Dr. Kyla, paediatric dietitian, fussy eating specialist and mum of two. I'm the founder of the online Mealtimes Memberships that help parents just like you experience a confident and guilt-free way of feeding children. I'm also a business owner, a hot cross bun lover, and my superpower is finding things that you cannot live without. In this podcast, I'm talking about feeding your family, along with a random selection of topics that tickle my fancy. Welcome to Mealtimes with Dr. Kyla. Today's guest is my colleague and friend, Gina Jornay from my very own Mealtimes team. Gina is a pediatric dietitian. She's the lead of our Toddler Mealtimes membership. She does a lot of our member consults and mothers groups. And I can say this about her while she's listening and she'll blush, I know, but she's just one of the most kind and balanced and clever dietitians I've worked with. And one of the things I love about her is that she really understands the real-world challenges that our members have and I think that any kind of client she has and really works with people to support them in a practical way. And I think that's a real strength of hers. I might throw to her, welcome, Gina, um, and thank maybe you, you can tell me a bit about yourself.
1: Uh, thank you. That's very kind of you to say in your eyes. When we're just like chatting oh, with friends. <laughs> it's always very cringy to hear nice things being said about yourself. Yeah. Um, but yes, so I have been part of the meal times team for two years. We've just sort of realized, blows my mind. it feels so, like
0: forever, but also like just last week.
1: Yes, and I think that's the crazy thing that I had to actually go back to some of my dietetic friends and sort of figure out how long have I been a dietitian for. Um, so it has been four years. so actually not that long, really, but I do also feel that I've had quite a varied, experience in that time too. Yeah. Um, obviously two years of that being with you, which has been amazing. But before that doing some like clinical work in the hospital and some private practice too, which definitely I think has the private practice particularly had a big impact on how I think about food, but we can get into that a bit later. And yeah, teasing ahead um, I like. It. Yes, yeah, that's a little teaser for you. Um <laughs> But so about me, yes, I, I don't know. I'm just your usual sort of 30-something woman. <laughs> um, I have a beautiful dog who is probably my life, really, at the moment. Um, my partner works out in northern, so there is often a lot of time where it is me and Archie working from home life. He is my colleague a lot of the time. He's present in this interview. Yes, he is. He's currently under the desk. That's his usual spot. Um, but other than that, i yeah, I just like cooking. I love food. I love talking about food and, and everything that entails really. Which kind of like leads into
0: our discussion, I guess, because I invited Gina on the podcast. Um, so you can get to know some of our Mealtimes team, but also because we had a really interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we were talking about the things that we used to believe about food, you know, particularly as students or as kind of early career um, dietitians. And then it got so juicy that I was like, stop, we cannot talk about this in real life. We must talk about it in the podcast. So I've made Gina come on and, um, you know, share all her (laughs) interesting personal examples and my own personal examples. So I haven't actually let you tell me, you've alluded that there's some interesting kind of um, facts to come. So I'm quite ready to hear them. And I guess for context, for anybody listening, we were kind of talking about how much, Our views about food and bodies in particular have changed in the last five years or so, I would say, which kind of coincides for you as to when you kind of graduated. And for me, I think like early career, I was always reasonably balanced in the advice that I gave people. But when I think about some of the things that I believed personally about food or the things that I applied to myself, um, I think have changed so considerably, which hopefully is a reflection of what we're seeing in society now that there's this kind of appreciation for the negative impact of diet culture and how much potential damage is caught you know is done by associating fear and guilt and shame with food with body size yeah you know, this is something i talk about now a lot but it's only a fairly recent development for me that i feel like really able to talk about some of these things and then it's super interesting to look back on what we used to think and what we used to believe. So maybe if you're new here I'll throw to Gina and just rope her in for the definition. <laughs> Give me a kind of how would what would diet culture how would you describe diet culture?
1: Okay. So the the Butterfly Foundation describes diet culture as a set of ever-changing myths about food and bodies that promote the idea that someone's body weight reflects their health. And that foods can be simplistically categorised into good and bad. It really focuses on thinness while masking this fear of being fat. And um, so, essentially, it's it really underpins a lot of what we think about food and bodies in our society. And it's wrong. Mm-hmm. We 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 know that now.
0: I think we're so- still learning, though. The yes. depths, right? Like there are still things that surprise me. When I hear other people speak about, you know, food or bodies, my family, my friendship group, just the general public, but also kind of the the initial thoughts that crop up for me sometimes are a throwback to like what we've all learned in the last 30, 40 years, you know, and it's, we're starting to see, I think, the change. Um, And I think it's really interesting for us because a lot of students in particular are drawn to study things like nutrition and dietetics Mm. through maybe a maybe kind of misplaced obsession with food and health, like that real kind of hyper-focus um, around like food and nutrients and what that means. Mm. And I think for both of us, like we used to think in ways that make us cringe quite considerably. Oh, so cringy! Terrible. So cringey. <laughs> and I thought it would be really interesting to reflect back on some of the things that we used to believe, uh, the things that we used to do, and maybe how much we've changed since then. And I'll just throw in, I think it might be worth having a content warning here because we Mm -hmm. probably are going to talk about some of our own examples of disordered eating or the, the beliefs that we had that weren't true that were probably based around restriction or control or, you know, a bit of obsession, which might not be helpful for some people to hear. So if that's you, like totally fine to skip out of this one. And maybe we start at the beginning. What about like as a child or teenager, what was your kind
1: of experience with food or bodies. Mm, So I guess when I think about food in my childhood, it actually feels quite unremarkable, probably in a good way, really. Um, Yeah, mum was in charge of meals. um, So she did the bulk of the cooking in our family. And both my parents English, so we just had typical English meals. You know, there's a lot of shepherd's pie and casseroles and things. I still cannot eat steamed cabbage for the, <laughs> I'm like, that, I'm is a good done. Cabbage. Yeah, that is done forever. I will never, but I don't ever recall feeling concerned about the foods that my family were feeding me being good or bad or anything like that. I do remember being told to sort of finish what was on my plate um, and, you know, this is this is what we're having for dinner, that's it type thing, particularly finishing what's on your plate. That's still something that I'm working on. Today.
0: Me too. And you know, mine comes from a sense of guilt. Like I should kind of show an appreciation for like mm-hmm. if somebody at a restaurant has cooked me a meal that like they'll think I don't like it if I don't eat the whole thing, which is the whole people pleasing, you know, yes. Yeah,
1: so it it's probably a little but bit more complicated than being told you must finish your plate.
0: <laughs> it's a big part of it too, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I would say yeah. I mine wasn't significantly different. I do remember my mum doing diets or following kind of easy slim or being on kind of, you know, changing programs, I guess, or or things that kind of cropped up. But I don't ever remember it being kind of punishment based or, you know, any, I don't remember it being a big part of our life. And mm. if I think about myself as a child and teenager, I had a big appetite. Like I ate really mm. well, I enjoyed food, but I do remember a period of time at high school where I would I was trying to like record a, like what I ate in a way in an attempt to eat less. And I had this picture. I remember this picture of a, like a thigh gap, essentially like a lady whose legs did not touch, which is wild because that is not my body shape and never will be my body shape regardless of my actual weight. But I was like, okay, if I can just eat less, like that's where I'm heading. And I remember like the actual scrapbook. It was like an old primary school scrapbook that I had like recorded these things. But that was kind of the extent as to I think half the time I would start these things and be like, oh, this is too hard, like, stuff it. I'll be fine. But that's my only real
1: kind of red flag. What
0: age do you think you were? I reckon it would have been about 15 or 16.
1: Yeah, it's such an interesting age, isn't
0: it? Yeah, and there's so many, you know, things going on with your body Mm. at that point and with peer pressure and social things and, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think we were quite lucky, like, if I think about my teenagehood, like that wasn't particularly cool. I tried to have cool clothes, but they were like long board shorts and surfy tops, you know, they weren't like boob tube dresses and, you know, like tiny little skimpy things. And I think I wonder if that would have made it harder if I was trying to fit into particular kind of shaped things.
1: Yeah, um, definitely.
0: I definitely do not want to be a teenager in um, this kind of era. All right. Tell me then about did you go into straight
1: into uni? No, you had a little bit of time before. Oh, so before before I did nutrition, I did architecture. So that's a whole that feels like a whole nother lifetime ago. Um but so yes, coming out of that, I decided no, I needed to do something different. And that's when I sort of fell into the nutrition stuff. But I think this is probably a good time to talk about what I teased with you earlier. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. But yeah. This is not something I talk about very often and it's it's a funny one. It's not that I'm embarrassed, but it just doesn't align with my values anymore. And so it's not something that I would openly tell somebody, especially somebody that I've met for the first time or when I'm meeting them new. Or someone that you've known for two years and worked yes. with. So tell me now. <laughs> Literally. So I was just going to say there are definitely lots of people in my life that would not know this about me. So about 10 years ago, I entered a pageant. Did you? Mm. And so, yeah, at the time, I remember, I remember there being some girls that I'd been to high school with that had done it the year before, and they'd done quite well. And, you know, there were prizes and, I don't know, free things and it looked very glamorous. It looked amazing. So I thought, you know what, well, if they can do it, why can't I do it? Um, What I didn't realise is that actually this was going to be my real introduction into, like, um, diet culture and body comparison, Yeah. these kind of ideas that I'd somehow been fairly unaffected by in my childhood like you said there's always little things but it hadn't been a big part of my life and this period of time I spent oh, it was probably five or six months with this cohort of women some of which I'm still really good friends with today so no, like you make
0: good friendships in those like yes
1: yeah but it was the first time in my life that I actually felt I felt different and I felt bigger and, like, this is also coming from someone I want to acknowledge. Like, I am in a fairly slim body. Yeah. Like, you know, so when I was in this competition, I felt uncomfortable. I would compare myself to these other women and I, for the first time in my life, I was like, I I am too big to be here. There's something wrong with me. Um, How much time you spending with these people? It was quite a lot because we, there'd be events on Every few weeks, yeah but uh, we'd also there were there were nice things about it like we did a lot of boxing that was part of the thing it was sponsored by a boxing club. um I think it was like five or ten dollars for a boxing class so that was so cheap and I loved it. The boxing was amazing. What I didn't love was that we would go out for coffee after boxing on a Saturday morning and someone would be saying how fat she thought she was yeah and you know those it was just so up front, people was, would comment, comment so openly on their own body. That really shocked me. Do people comment on other people's bodies? No. And, and well, not in the, the groups that I sort of, I guess, gathered with. Yeah. Um, but hearing someone else say like, oh, I am so fat or look at my thighs, when I was sitting there, I'm thinking, well, I'm clearly bigger than you. So what? if you're saying that about yourself, what do you think of me? Yeah, and that was really like a really challenging time. Um, one of my favourite quotes that has just stuck with me for my entire life. I will never forget this. It was after we'd had a particular parade, and someone had bought some some lollies, and I I will never forget. One of the girls said, "The yellow lollies aren't worth it." Oh my god! And I just I always think back at that, and I'm like, if she had have said. I don't like yellow lollies. Yeah. Wouldn't have oh. made a, it, that's nothing, right? We all have a flavor we don't love. But to say they're not worth it, I was like, what is it? They're not worth the sugar. They're not worth the, the calories. You you're, yeah, you're going to gain weight from a yellow lolly. So those that really, I think, triggered my awareness of yeah. food and bodies for the first time, like properly in my life. And did that change the way you ate, do you think? I would say probably, yeah. And there, there were like some, some of the people that I hung out with. One of the girls, lovely. She really wanted to do a juice cleanse, so she was convincing other people to do a juice cleanse with her. I signed up for a juice cleanse, which is I think about it now and I laugh because it was terrible. I didn't last a day. The juices tasted disgusting. So I'd spent, I don't even know how much money it was. They weren't cheap back then either. No, they were these beautiful glass bottles and they all had turmeric or, you know, activated almonds or something (laughs) fancy in them. And they just were disgusting. So I remember eventually having to tip them all out and recycle all these glass bottles.
0: (laughs) I feel like we've got more awareness that now around, like as a society, that like a juice cleanse is not... A good thing. It is not A, necessary. B helpful. It's probably like dangerous for some harmful. people. Yeah. In terms of like the amount that you're having, all of this, you know, and all of this like virtuous kind of health yeah. halo stuff, right? Like, oh, I'm yeah. I'm being good this weekend. I'm doing a juice cleanse. That whole idea around like morality and
1: yeah, detoxing know, cleansing. oh, it's oh just- I
0: love to detox as a um a nutrition yeah. student. It's which is, you know embarrassing to think about the times that I like was just on this you know like and really overtly virtuous about do you know like yep. really telling everybody I knew
1: that I was on a detox I couldn't do this thing <laughs> which is yeah laugh nobody cares and that's yeah. that's actually the point of it really isn't it I
0: would, I would have been interested to see what I thought when someone said to me like you know your liver does that by itself like without you necessarily controlling and restricting what you eat but I don't know if I was in that space at that point.
1: Yeah, probably not. I think that's often it. You are so deep in these things that even though it makes sense, you're not really listening. And I
0: think also at that time it was normal, right? Like well, that absolutely. was a normal thing to do. Did you diet as that, at that
1: point? I don't. See, I don't recall really restricting my food but I do remember like downloading my fitness pal and like putting things into that yeah. and it telling me like this is your estimated calories for the day and it's a, it's a funny thing cuz I think and I probably can credit to my family being quite grounded around food that you know they would be preparing dinner and I was living at home then and I'd go well why would I be having a juice I'd rather have your meal that you've deliciously like you've prepared with love for me minus the cabbage yes minus the cabbage obviously but no I don't think I really went deep into that and it's funny because at the time I probably almost thought I don't have the willpower to do that do you know what I mean it was probably that thing of like oh I'm trying to do this juice cleanse but actually mum's made spaghetti meatballs and I really like that so I'm just going to give up on this and it probably probably did feel bad about that. I have a similar
0: experience when I was like doing the equivalent of clean eating or whatever it was Mm -hmm. in the day Mm -hmm. and I remember, um, I think I mentioned this one to you, when I had eaten two um, like pizza pinwheels out of the fridge which were like from a birthday party the day before, like nothing like leftover party food and I ate two of them and then remembered halfway through the second like, oh, I'm supposed to be like eliminating sugar or eliminating gluten or things that I absolutely did not need to eliminate and like deciding in that moment like do I spit this thing out I've already eaten one and a half or do I like and I think the same like my thought was like oh I I couldn't even stick to that for you know a day like oh stuff that I won't but there is that underlying like Mm. guilt like oh I can't really do it like I didn't really want to be you know healthier or skinnier or whatever it was that was kind of driving that stuff which mm-hmm. that, that stuff seeps in, don't you think those, yeah,
1: definitely.
0: those beliefs that you can't do it or you don't have enough willpower or you can't control yourself or if there's a block of chocolate, like it's your problem as yep. opposed to a number of factors playing into you know what you believe.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah interesting. Definitely. All right, you've teased me. Tell me about this hair
1: sample. Oh, yes, yes. So on the back of all that stuff that I'd been through with the pageant time, that's when I started the nutrition undergrad. Right. And so it was, I went into that being like, okay, I'm going to be a nutritionist and I'm going to be the healthiest and I'm going to be so good and do all these Get a good example for everyone. Eat all of the right foods, all of this. And coincidentally at the time I had a period of really bad skin and, you know, it was probably something that affected me more than I realised. And other people probably didn't notice, but I had this like dermatitis around my face, which was probably stress related now that I think about it. But of course, I was like grasping for everything. Like, what can it be? What can it be? So I did. a What can I control that? Literally. Yes. What can I control? I did a food intolerance test. So I got sent this little kit plucked out a bit of some of my hair, had to make sure it had the follicles still attached or something ridiculous, sent that off. And then a few weeks later, let I- me guess, let me guess what you were intolerant to. Was it gluten and dairy? <laughs> they were definitely on there. Um, so weirdly, so was, I remember eggs. Salmon, and I was like, "Gosh, am I like this bougie person that eats a lot of salmon?" Maybe I was living at home at the time, and I'm intolerant um, to it, and I didn't even know. Didn't know, yes. But one of the funniest things that I, at the time, I opened it up and I was like, "Oh, this is rubbish. This is um, this tells me I'm intolerant to everything." And there was percentages of how much you're intolerant to every food. So, like, zero evidence or actual science. No, none actually purely like running the numbers. Just a waste of money. But at the time, I was also working at an activewear shop. And one of the biggest things that it said I was intolerant to was lycra. Yeah. <laughs> so it went beyond food as well. And I was like, I literally. Intolerant to lycra? I mean, don't I eat that for lunch. Wear. No lycra for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> it was bizarre. And I was like, I live in activewear. I don't have any like, I mean, yes, I've got this dermatitis. Was my- there a part of you
0: that thought, is my Lycra? Affected no. My and that's
1: what's, I wish I could go back to this time because I remember looking at these results and laughing at them with my mum. And I, I don't know if part of me did it just because I was curious or, you know, probably wasn't super expensive. Like it was probably enough. Yeah. But it wasn't so expensive that I thought, no, I can't afford that. But it was. I went into this little like deep time of, thinking okay well I'll do some raw treats and I'll make bliss balls and protein shakes and things like that that just I just didn't enjoy
0: yeah isn't that interesting I remember a strong time of like being quite obsessive about vegetables Mm. but like not preparing them in a way that I enjoyed and like really having to think about like how can I get this thing down Uh. for like the health benefit and that now that I look back I'm like life is way too short my friend to not enjoy the things you're doing on the daily like I I remember kind of making smoothies but like which you'll know as I'm now like a little opposed to smoothies we were just trying out some new toddler mealtime smoothies (laughs) and I was like pleasantly surprised yesterday when I actually really liked one of them um (laughs) but I remember making but not too much fruit because I didn't want too much sugar so Mm -hmm. I had to kind of up the veggies but then it was really hard to drink so I'd have to like Yeah. And I just think, what a waste of mental energy. Like that is just, oh, so unnecessary. And I think, interestingly, our degree was probably a bit ahead of its time in some ways, in that they really tried to beat out of you in a way this kind of holier than thou approach to food. I feel Mm. like that was, there was a lot of kind of grounding. I came out of my degree like really aware that it wasn't this kind of moral high ground necessarily but I think we probably weren't up to speed at that point with kind of this perception of bodies that there are a variety of bodies and we're not all aiming for everyone to be this kind of slim you know particular body shape and I think that's coming more so now and that's I think a big societal trend too right Mm -hmm. like I do remember and this is like this is really embarrassing and cringy because I do not identify with this at all anymore. And I thought actually I was trying to be cool at the time. And I don't know if this outdates you, but at high school I remember um, we had like a Forever Friends journal. And so it was this journal you had to fill in about. So you would have it and then you would give it to all of your friends or lots of people at school and they would fill in a section about themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. And so they
0: would like talk about like what your name is and what your pets mm-hmm. are and you'd have to put a little photo in. And then Yeah, I do remember you would say, like, what you want to be when you grow up. And I would write, because I always knew I wanted to be a dietitian, but I would write, I want to make the world skinny. And I'm like, now that I think about that, that was purely to be cool. Like, I actually don't know that I believed that, but I thought that was like a, that was like, you know, I always felt the pressure writing these things because you'd read someone mm. else's page and be like, oh, like, that's so well put together. I can't think of anything to write about myself. And so I used to put that in people's journals. And now that I think about it, I'm like, Wow, that was so inappropriate and so like unhelpful and damaging, and like that. But that was like of our time. I,
1: it, yeah. Yeah. I think when you think about what we thought was normal back then, the easiest example is to like go back and watch a movie from the early 2000s. And now there are certain movies that I would have said that I loved when I was younger. And I, I look at them, I'm like, I don't know if I can actually watch that. Or what she as an yeah. example? Like we watched yeah. that as a family.
0: Like mm. we watched people weighing themselves and you know, like being flogged by these personal mm. trainers and having this restrictive diet as like national entertainment. Like that's that would not fly now. Like we mm. have come yes. a reasonable way. But that I mean that only finished less than 10 years ago.
1: Yeah.
0: It's actually wild, isn't it? It is blows my mind. All right. Anything else as a student dietitian that kind of you remember? What did you eat? Do you remember what you used to take for lunch, and things?
1: Not really. I think I used to buy lunch a fair bit at uni because I did, I did move out of home during the undergrad as well. And so then I definitely had some like oh, some dodgy tech, um, cookbooks that probably were rather unhelpful, probably low sugar, probably low carb, all of those things. Um, I had the
0: CSIRO um, diet cookbook and I remember there was a huge focus on protein and, like, low carb and I remember making a sandwich. Like, I I used a recipe for the sandwich, which, A, should be a bit of a red flag, like, do I really need a recipe? But this sandwich had 200 grams of ham in it. Like, <laughs> I I'm, I didn't even buy 200 grams for our family of four. So much ham. Like, it is so much ham. And I remember my mum and I eating this sandwich together because I was like, yeah, come do this thing with me. And we've cut this sandwich and it's literally just ham. And she was like, are you sure about this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've read all the stuff.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. wow. Neither was us could eat that, but we had to pull half the herd out. Like, what a joke. Yeah. What a waste of ham as well. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, how funny! Yeah, I I do remember like
0: very focused on like vegetables. Really, like mm-hmm. I feel like to a level that was probably not
1: mm-hmm. a healthy
0: kind of balanced approach to. Yeah, getting
1: it. I would agree with that. I think those cookbooks that I had, it would have been under this halo of like here's a recipe full of vegetables, but actually it was low in probably grains and nothing ever had much sugar in it. You know. Oh. Was or like, fat heaven forbid. Yes, at that point yes so that was always the sort of i don't know the disguise wasn't it it's like oh but you're having lots of vegetables yes so it's great i'm just being healthy that's all i'm yeah. not dieting i'm just like focusing mm. on the nutritious foods mm. but that all has some kind of subtext doesn't it yeah. what what do you think where did you change so, I think, I mean, along the way, obviously, some of these experiences I was thinking this just doesn't seem right. And things kind of, I don't know, came up along the way. I do remember at some point in our degree being shown that poodle science video, <laughs> which, oh, have you not seen that? Right, no, no, haven't. We'll have to share it. Um, put it in the show notes. Put it in the show notes. There you go. Um, it's probably a really, really basic way of explaining that all bodies are supposed to be different. And so it's a little cartoon. I think I have. Yes. yes. And it's like the poodles are trying to make the bulldogs the same shape as a as a poodle, but actually that's not going to happen. So it's it's obviously a very entry level. I like it. And it's probably oversimplified. there might be people that don't think it's helpful. Um but I remember seeing that and thinking, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And being a dog person, obviously I <laughs> you I latched onto that. I was like, "Yes, there's no way my Labrador is going to be the size of a chihuahua." Yeah, absolutely not. Um, and he shouldn't eat like a chihuahua either. No, right? definitely not. Exactly. And so I think there were little things along the way, but probably it wasn't until really I was practicing as a dietitian, I was being referred. Particularly, this is in a private practice. Um, I was in a medical center pretty much bulk billing patients or they had a very small gap fee. And I was referred, most of my patients came in for weight loss. Um, And some of these patients, like I really vividly remember me trying to like explain to them that actually we don't need you to lose weight or, you know, and I, I couldn't quite... I don't know, explain this to them. I hadn't quite got the language or my own understanding yet, I suppose. Or your own undying belief,
0: don't you think? Like Until you feel that, like how damaging that is, until you can recognise that Mm -hmm. like in your core, you actually just can't bring people
1: along with you. No. So I was doing these like wishy-washy things of, okay, look, your GP says you should lose weight. Okay, you've got high blood pressure, so potentially you could lose weight and it could help, but we know that this many diets don't work and it just it wasn't helpful for anyone really. But there are a couple of patients that I specifically remember as me as being like this big red flag for me thinking, no, there's got to be something else I can do for this patient. Like this patient isn't, you know, going to benefit from weight loss. Yeah. Um, or is eating like a fairly varied Literally. enjoying their food yeah and without sort of giving too much away um patient confident- confidentiality there are a couple of patients So it's one lady she would have been probably in her early 70s um the gp had referred her on to me for weight loss she had no other health conditions she was completely happy what she was eating how her body felt how she moved and she was just so lovely. She came in and she said, look, I don't really want to lose weight. I'm quite comfortable where I am, and what I'm eating. I, I don't want to change my diet. And I sort of said, great. Do you know what? That's, I'm so pleased for you. Carry well, hang, on. On. hang on to that. You know, and it was so, it was so refreshing because at the same time, you know, I was seeing patients with malnutrition in the hospitals that I'm trying to like, beg and plead these elderly people to eat more because they've got no fat reserves on them essentially. So I was seeing this sort of funny, I don't know, both sides of of that. Um, But I think the real, the the biggest red flag for me was a patient that was referred to me for weight loss. She had polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, And I, I asked her early on when we started working together, like, she had this big goal. She wanted to lose a lot of weight. And I said to her sort of when was there a time in your life that you were lost this this weight? And she actually told me that that time was when she was engaging in bingeing and purging and yeah, right. she was drinking and partying and and really like at her lowest in her mental health. And I just thought this is so inappropriate. Yeah, well, that I, I have to been get that there referred this woman and this is her history and so I think from there I really did a deep dive particularly into some of these medical conditions where where it is somebody gets this diagnosis and their GP says okay go lose five to ten percent five to ten percent of your body weight and I thought no I don't want to be the dietitian that does that I want to actually treat this as a condition rather than the body size so that's probably where i sort of went more down the sort of anti-diet approach because i didn't want to cause any more harm yeah
0: and i think it's tricky because a lot of those referrals come from this idea that like the obesity epidemic is Mm. getting worse there's a thing that like there is a blanket you know this body size anything above a bmi of 25 is not okay and actually, like, that's being disproven quite considerably now that actually that's not appropriate. Like, we know that BMI is not an appropriate measure. I remember doing BMI, like, my own BMI in a nutrition lab, like, at uni and, you know, being 26 or something on the So I was, you know, categorised as mm. overweight. And, like, that stage, I remember exactly wow. where I was. I remember, like, having to declare that to the class and oh. this, like, really you know, uh, judgment assigned to something when I was like, I feel quite happy in my body. Like that's probably one of the lowest weights I've been in my life, but it still was,
1: Mm. it's, it's crazy. You didn't fit in the box. Yeah. 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 And whose box? Like make your own Mm, box. Literally imaginary box.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And what are you still seeing commonly in people around you? Do you think like that doesn't kind of seem problematic
1: but kind of raises red flags for you? I think I've probably been quite selective on the people that I hang out with more. So I think my inner circle, I'm seeing less and less of it. And we have more conversations about how things have changed and why we don't necessarily, yes, why we don't talk about other people's bodies and you know why actually our appearance isn't the most important part of us. But I think in general, there are things like, I still get like, I don't know, a bit, a bit of an irk when I see, on ick I should say, when I see things like, oh, here's a healthier carrot cake recipe or, um, yeah. This, You're free. Oh, yes, all of those things. And, like, that's something that I know that I was a part of when I first started nutrition. We talked about that off camera when when I had a <laughs> blog. I, you know, did that. And, Now I can look back and say, actually, no, there's no such thing as, you know, well, there shouldn't be such thing as a guilt-free cookie because all all, food should be guilt-free. Yes, exactly. All cookies are cookies. And if I'm going to make cake, I'd rather make actual delicious cake than something that doesn't satisfy me. So that's something I think particularly within that dietetics community that I see a lot. And I think that's something that still,
0: like, still takes a lot of Mm. retraining your brain. Like, I will find myself at times finding it hard to trust myself when, like, I do feel like more of that particular thing. Mm
1: -hmm. There is still
0: a part of me that's like, oh, no, that's enough. Whereas I do fully believe now that if I have something delicious and I eat it until I feel satisfied. I can actually stop when I want to yeah. and I that doesn't have to be a predetermined amount. It doesn't have to and I feel so much more satisfied by food now mm-hmm. as compared to, say, 10 years ago when I would be like just a small bowl of that or no, I won't have the, you know, topping that goes with this thing or I'll, you know, not eat all of it. And yeah. that, like I think I was lucky to come out fairly unscathed from some of those things Mm -hmm. to now a point when I actually can trust my body and myself and I can exercise for enjoyment not for you know working off calories yeah I think I definitely cringe when I hear that in kind of exercise classes still like oh you burn this many calories yes is that really why we're here doing these things
1: like no no but I think definitely the like the thought process I know I've had some people in my life they'll come over and they'll sort of say oh, you've got so much chocolate in your house or so many yeah, you've got a thing of cookies just sitting on the bench there don't you eat them all and it's actually knowing that I can have them anytime yeah. and I can eat all of them if I actually feel yes. like that
0: and maybe some yeah. sometimes in the month I might feel like that yes but also like then at other times I won't and all of that stuff like I think our bodies are so incredible at like balancing that stuff out and that yeah. like I, I feel like watching my kids do that is another fuel for me mm-hmm. that like actually we're born with these skills and yeah. it's this idea of diet culture or societal beliefs that actually take that away from us rather than kind of encouraging it. Would you like... If you think about our toddler mealtimes members, I feel like they're in the starting point of this real sort of lifelong relationship with trusting your own
1: body and your child's body. And that, like, can take a lot of work to get your head around. Definitely. And I think it even starts earlier than that. It starts in baby mealtimes. You know, we see it in the mother's groups or the parent's groups for the Intro to Solids that Nat and I run. Like, often it'll come up the sort of how much should I feed my baby and there is this fear that you know you're going to overeat them yes there's the the flip side of am i underfeeding them yeah. but there is that thing that you know what if i give them too much or yeah you know, is it is it a problem if i give them fruit are they going to yeah. get a sweet tooth and they're going to yes. be ruined for the rest of their life like there's a lot of these fears around food and they're valid like in oh, that understandable experience,
0: they're valid but they're so reflective of this idea around yeah diet culture and not having too big a body and this, yep. you know, all that stuff can cause a lot of harm if it's left unchecked.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I see it definitely in people commenting on, I think definitely now less, um, but commenting on other people's bodies or weight loss yeah. or, oh you know, you look great. Have you lost weight? Being yes. this idea that like you're better now if you've, you know, lost weight. And not appreciating that that is like a inappropriate, B potentially triggering for lots of people, mm-hmm. and just this insinuation that you didn't look good before, or I was yeah. judging you and your body prior to this, and kind of well, not like even just
1: someone's always watching your body, yes,
0: someone's monitoring the size of your body. It's wild, isn't
1: it? Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, that comes up a lot. Mm, yeah. Um. Okay. Anything else? And I guess like for you and I, we're both still fairly like early in our learning about this. Like I'm aware that there are times I think or say things that like don't come out quite right and I don't necessarily have the perfect language and probably never will because I've had like 30-something years of learning a particular way. And it does take a bit of unlearning, I think, to recognise these things for what they are. And it's not about like me and a lack of willpower and a need to be better with eating Mm. and actually but that does take a bit, and I, I would say, you know, for almost all of us, you know, we've had a big impact from
1: society and others, yeah,
0: but it does take a long time to undo,
1: yeah, definitely. And I think, and that's the thing, it's not actually going to be an overnight change ever, it's a really slow and gradual change in mindset, then followed by sort of small changes in actions, yeah. That is really what we're going for how much nicer is it to live like this oh it's so much better, so much better. <laughs> oh. yeah. all right
0: what has been your biggest lesson do you think from working as the toddler meal times rep what have you learned the most from your experience
1: oh it's, it's a tricky one when you sent this question in advance i did think about it a little bit um and I thought, you know, I started going off on one tension. I thought, no, actually, the key thing that Toddler Meal Times has actually taught me is that parents are just trying to do their best. Yeah. And they and they just want to be listened to. I think that is one of my biggest things in terms of making sure we're servicing our members is that they just want to be heard. And there's there's nothing worse than sort of being you know, told, oh, that's normal, don't worry about it. I think that's probably the most anxiety-inducing comment you can give a parent. In our actual processes, Doc, there's
0: like, do not tell people, like, it's fine, don't worry about it. Yeah. Like, we actually do have to hear the concern when we're answering questions or doing consults. And, like, mm-hmm. what is underneath that? What is the fear? Mm-hmm. How do we actually help you to trust your toddler? Like, it, that's a big... Yeah. And I do think, like... In toddler land, if you go to get help about, you know, some throat stuff, constipation, mm. like you are regularly dismissed if you haven't said the right words or, you know, explains the thing in detail or fussy eating. I mean, yes. how many people are told like, oh, oh it's just gone. Normal. Huh. gone. That's Whatever. fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really, yeah, and as a parent myself, like if I have a concern, I need to talk about all the things that come along yeah. with that. It's not just this one kind of little bit that you just tell me not to worry about because
1: I do not not worry about that yeah that telling someone not to worry about something has never in the history of the world ever helped, helped. them stopped worrying I ever. think you know we forget that we, we honestly yeah I think
0: that can be really and it, we've such short appointment times with people right mm. like if you need to get advice on a particular topic it's really hard to get yeah a detailed and thoughtful answer that Accounts for where you're at in all of the challenges yeah. that you parenting and life, any appointment. All right, my last two questions, which I ask um, everybody, tell me about one of the weirdest things you've ever eaten, bit of a changing cat.
1: I feel like you're going to be disgusted by oh, this. God, I'm so ready as a potato. Um, I have eaten raw squid tentacles. Raw squid tentacles. Yeah. What is the texture of that like? So as you would imagine, slimy, <laughs> a little bit chewy, but also tastes like squid, you know, squid rings. Really? So, yeah, interesting. It it also did have a bit of a wasabi sort of dressing on it. At a restaurant? Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. It was in Perth as well, Perth Japanese restaurant. Mm. I didn't hate it. it. Mm. Oh, it's one of those ones that I probably couldn't eat loads and loads of, yeah. but. A little bit. It was fine. Yeah, interesting. Um, and finally, what's for dinner in your house tonight? <gasps> so this is no lie. i meant to be going out for dinner tonight. One of my friends. Or Japanese? For- well, no, but one of my friends has got COVID. <laughs> I can't believe it. in 2023 COVID still ruining the is, plans. Absolutely. But, and this is also not uh, like. Deliberate plug, but that means if dinner's off, I'm going to be pulling out beef masa mum curry, which is a family mealtimes recipe. Oh my God. One of my favorite family meal times. Yes. Because it makes so much and in our household we'll have leftovers for days. But yeah, so that's me. So good. Thank okay. you so much
0: for joining me. I feel like we did a pretty good job of exposing our past selves um, yeah. and some of these kind of challenges. I'm sure there'll be more that we can think about. It was it's an interesting reflection for me particularly i found like oh actually i had some really weird beliefs about Mm. nutrition back then very yeah interesting thank you for your time thanks for For your work in general (laughs) see ya bye a huge thanks for tuning in and listening to my podcast this is all brand new for me so i'd love to hear your feedback Give me a review or send me a DM. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And above all, I'd really love you to hit that subscribe button to keep listening.
1: Thanks.